I jump into this, to be honest with you, if I succeed tonight, I will probably just forget about this. So you may say, oh, pastor, you're departing from the outline, and uh, that'd probably be a good thing if I do, because that means it's just it's just flowing. I want to say to you several things. First of all, that the best way to learn how to win a soul to Christ is to go with somebody who knows how to do it. And uh, then next to that, the best way to learn how to win a soul to Christ is to simply get the practice of talking to people, of giving people the gospel. We can sit and theorize all day long. We can read books. We can have, I could give you lectures. We other people give us lectures. And none of that is going to be any substitute for just getting out there and talking to people. Now, I am not a great soul winner, and I say this all the time when I preach out. I say it because it's true, and I say it to be an encouragement to pastors and other Christians. Sometimes a guest speaker comes in, and people think, oh, wow, this guy's you know, he's a dynamic preacher, so he's probably, uh, you know, a great, great soul winner. I am not a great soul winner. I'm a faithful soul winner, which means I go obediently, I go faithfully, but I don't have the results that other people do. I think part of it is because people are scared of me. They just want us to get this big goof off my off my doorstep here. Please leave. And so, but I can tell you, I have, been, I have done it for many years. The first person I led to Christ, I was in third grade, public school, Paquanaconk. And uh, we were in our little, it was sort of, uh, we had free, we had one teacher over two grades. And so while she was teaching fourth grade, third grade had some study time, you know how that goes. So we were in study time and my neighbor across the street, Danny Riccio, and my friend from uh, up behind uh, Peach Lake Market, Craig Felton, we were studying together. And uh, I don't know what brought the subject up, but as I said, I was in third grade and uh, we, uh, I, I showed Danny how to be saved. And um, he prayed and trusted Christ as a savior. And then as soon as we were done, Craig, Craig Felton said, uh, who was, I'm not saying he was a punk, but he was just, you know, he was just, uh, he was the kid that always, you know, was getting into trouble. <coughs> but he said, as soon as Danny was done praying, he said, uh, let me do that. And I said, okay. So I showed him how to be saved from the Bible. And, uh, and he got saved. And that was third grade. That's the first time I remember uh, doing that. And uh, all, all through uh, my, my uh, preteens and teens, I'm not saying I did. I won people to Christ every day or every week, but uh, I had opportunities, and praise the Lord, I took them. And I went off to Bible college and uh, won, won many, many people to Christ in uh, Chicago. And uh, then, of course, back here in Brewster and Danbury, New York City, all over the place here, we've had the privilege to do that. And the message is always the same. Now, sometimes the Spirit of God leads you down a different path because I don't mean a different message. I mean a different way to get to the destination because he knows that that person has a need in their heart that I don't know about. And so the Spirit of God maybe takes you down uh, a way that, that uh, uh, where you... And by the way, I'm not, um, I'm not the great guy that... No, okay, this is the best line I've ever had. The best... And I was totally set up. I was knocking doors in South Chicago for a special day. And I knocked on the door and a lady opened the doors and she goes... Are you the guy selling fire insurance? Well, I mean, you can't get set up any better than that. I said, yes, ma'am. 
and she got saved and her husband got saved and I hope they got some fire insurance somewhere. But anyway, but, uh, but I'm not the guy, you know, there's a preacher named Carl Hatch that, uh, you've heard all these stories and, and, uh, I, I, one of my favorites, Carl Hatch, uh, they were, he was walking down the street and he and the pastor, he's always with a pastor cause Carl Hatch was an evangelist. And they looked, and they were walking past a, uh, is it monastery? Would nuns be at a monastery? Is that the right word, or do I want something else? Convent. Okay, so they're walking past a convent. And um, there's, a, there's a nun over there sitting on a park bench. And, you know, the preacher, <laughs> the pastor wants nothing to do with that. Like, let's just keep going. And Brother Hatch goes, let's, let's go talk to this lady over here. And the pastor's like, oh, man. And, and uh, so they go walking. <laughs> Carl Hatch sits down next to the nun, and he goes, how'd you like to go to heaven straight shot, no purgatory? <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, ten minutes later, the lady was praying and trusting Christ as her Savior. Uh, I'm, I'm not like that at all. I, I think of those lines an hour later. You know what I should have said to that guy? Uh, I am not, I'm not like that at all. And the reason I tell you that I'm not is because some of you may be, but some of you may not be. Uh, I am a very poor conversationalist and I'm a very, very poor salesman. Uh, one, one summer I tried to make it through college on selling uh, Culligan water softeners. I about starved to death that summer. I am not a salesman. Um, but the great news is you don't have to be. In fact, if you count on your salesman skills, you're not going to have anybody come to Christ. Because what people need to be saved is the power of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, those two are one. When you are uh, yielded to the Holy Spirit of God and you're using the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God merge as one, and it does work. And you don't have to worry so much about, oh, man, did I say that exactly right? Did I, did I illustrate that exactly right? Listen, if you're, if you're speaking the power of the Word of God, the power of the Spirit of God through you, uh, he'll, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to get it exactly right, but it does mean that he's got you covered. He's doing the work. He's doing the work. You're just, you're just there being faithful and obedient. So let, him, let me begin tonight. And, and one more thing before I, before I get into this, because once I start, I hope to not vary at all. And uh, for, I hope to not say, time out, let me say this. If you have a question, uh, this won't take long for me to get through, but I am going to talk as if I'm talking to uh, my friend Bob over here. And um, we're not going to go with the preliminaries. We're just going to go as if I've already got a conversation going. And uh, where do I go from there? Uh, but I will say this, that um, I will, th- these, you know, you used to be able to get these in any local Christian bookstore, but I don't even think we have a local Christian bookstore anymore, but you can find these online, just a a little pocket New Testament, and uh, this one has all kinds of mileage on it. This is uh, printed by a um, company called Bearing Precious Seed, and uh, I love this New Testament right here, Uh, the size, everything, leather bound, it's got Psalms and Proverbs in it, I love it for uh, preaching, and I don't, I used to win people to Christ and then just give them the Bible and I was done, but this one has the names of of dozens and dozens, maybe even hundreds of young men who trusted Christ as Savior at Lincoln Hall when I was preaching there from 2004 to 2010, and so I'm I'm not going to let this one go. But you can generally get a New Testament like this anywhere from $15 to $25. 
and uh, you want to take your your uh, little ribbon here or some sort of marker and put it in Romans 3.23. The verses on your sheet there, you or actually Romans 3.10, uh, you want to underline them. You want to memorize them, uh, but you want to underline them in your Bible. You don't want to be sitting doing this number. Uh, that, and that, the Bible says that over here in Romans um, 5, 8, it's here somewhere, just just hang on, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. No, you want it to be more like this. And then the Bible says over here in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God coming just like that, you want it to be smooth. You don't want to keep people, get people distracted or keep them waiting. Okay, so I've met Bob, and uh, we have a conversation going, and uh, I'm not even going to tell you how I have made the transition, but uh, I say, you know, Bob, The most important thing that any person can know is to be 100% sure that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Let me ask you, has anyone ever taken the Bible and shown you from the Bible how you can be 100% sure that you're going to heaven? They haven't? Would you mind if I did that? It won't take long. It'll just take several minutes. But it would be a shame for you to live your whole life and never see for yourself from the Bible how to be sure that you're going to heaven. God says some very important things about heaven. The first thing that he says is God says that every one of us has sinned against him. Now, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times we hear the word sinner, we think some other bad person. Some guy that's done something very bad that is not us. But the fact is the Bible applies the word sin to all of us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It says in verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Bob, here's the thing. We are a rebellious race. We are a fallen race. The fact that we lie and hate and steal and all the... I mean, we all know how to do those things. You know how to do those things, right? The fact that we do those things is not what makes us sinners. The fact that we lie and hate and cheat and steal is what reveals the rebellion that's in our heart. The truth is, Bob, if if we didn't have a heart that was rebellious against God, we wouldn't want to ever tell a lie. We would have no desire to ever hate anybody. We would have no desire ever to curse. In fact, I'll go a step farther. If we didn't have a heart that was rebellious against God, we wouldn't know how to do those things. It is only the fact that we are rebellious against God that makes us so that we know how to hate and steal and curse and be greedy, makes us want to do those things and makes us know how to do those things. So you understand, Bob, that the Bible clearly says that we have sinned against God, that there's nobody exempt from from that. Every one of us has sinned against God. You understand that? Is that clear to you? All right. That's the first thing you've got to know if you want to make the decision 
to go to heaven when you die. You've got to know that you are a sinner in God's sight. I'm talking about right now when God looks down at Bob, he sees someone who is rebelling against him. He sees someone who is shaking his fist. In, and you may say, well, I'm not shaking my fist at God. Yes, but we have that element of our corrupt heart that is rebellious against God Almighty. You understand that? That makes sense? All right. That's bad news. But there's even worse news than that. The worse news than that is that our sin carries with it a mandatory penalty, a mandatory sentence. That's just one of the rules of the universe. When you sin against the Creator, there is a mandatory sentence. And that mandatory sentence, it's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty drastic. The Bible says in, Revelation, I'm sorry, in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, see that it says, the wages of sin is death. Now, you, you know that when payday comes, you get your wages, but that's not a word that we use so much anymore. We would use the word paycheck. So if you put the word paycheck in there, that says exactly the same thing. The paycheck of sin is death. Now, you may think, well, yeah, I mean, we all got to die, and everybody knows that. But the fact is the Bible says that uh, the death that we already know about is just the death of our body. We are made up of body, soul, and spirit, okay? Our spirit is already dead because of our sin. Our bodies are going to die someday and be laid in the ground. But there's still one more element, and that's our soul. You've heard about the soul of man before. And it's the soul of man that will live on forever somewhere. And because of our sin, Bob, your soul will spend eternity in the place of death. The Bible says that the place of of eternal death is the place of second death. And let me show you where it says in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, which tells us how it's all going to end. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8 says, The fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, the Bible clearly says right there that there is a hell. And the Bible clearly says that everyone who has engaged in that list, that list hits all of us. There's not a one of us that doesn't find ourselves guilty on that list somewhere. And God says that we're going to have a part in the lake of fire. And that's the second death. So there is a hell, the Bible says, very clear. I could show you a hundred verses where the Bible says there is a hell. It is real. And it's the place of death. And because of our sin, we have to go to the place of death. <laughs> I don't know you're probably thinking, you, you, you started off sounding real positive and this has gotten real gloomy. Well, you're right. This is bad news. This is very bad news. But here's the good news. God doesn't want a single human being to go to the lake of fire. 
God does not want a single human being to pay for our own sins. And that's why God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. He was our substitute. So in other words, I was guilty. You were guilty. I was sentenced to death. You were sentenced to death. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came along and stood before the judge and said, I know they're guilty, but I will take their sentence for them. How did he do that? Listen to this or look at this. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. God commendeth. That means he demonstrated. He showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I got to say, I don't know if there's four words in the English language that excite me more and move me more than those four. Christ died for us. As horrible as it is that you and I have been sentenced to eternal death because of our sin, Christ died for us. He took our sentence for us. He died in our place. And I'm telling you, Bob, that is one of hundreds of verses in the Bible that I could show you that make it very clear that all all that we know, we've all seen crosses and pictures of Jesus hanging on the cross. You've seen that before, right? And all of that, what all of that is about is that Jesus took our sentence for us. He was our substitute. He died in my place. Do I deserve to to suffer eternal damnation? Yes, I do. Do you deserve to suffer eternal damnation? Yes, you do. The Bible's very clear. But God loves you. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to say, you're going to be Joe's substitute. You're going to be Bob's substitute. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried three days later. He conquered death. He rose from the dead, which means our entire sentence of eternal damnation is over. It's, it, it exists no more. So does that mean that everybody just automatically goes to heaven? We're all set? No, it doesn't. Because now God invites us to receive forgiveness and everlasting life. I showed you a little while ago that the, all have sinned. I'm sorry, I showed you the wages of sin is death. But look what the rest of that verse says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, there's a lot of people that are trying to get to heaven by working for it. But do you see that word right there? The gift of God is eternal life. You can't work for a gift. You can't pay for a gift. The only way to get a gift, if it's truly a gift, is to receive it. And God invites every human being to receive his gift of forgiveness and everlasting life through Jesus Christ because Jesus took their sentence for them when he died on the cross. Let me show you that in a different place in Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus 
and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, meaning saved from our sin. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Look at this. You might have even heard this before. Verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means that God is waiting for you to accept his invitation. It is no accident that I met you today. It is no accident that you were gracious enough to give me the time to show you what the Bible says. And I've done that. We're all done looking at the Bible. But now the question is this. If Jesus did that for you, wouldn't you be willing to trust him as your Savior? Of course you would. I've never met anybody that didn't say yes to that offer from God. Would you be willing right here now to tell God for yourself that you're trusting Jesus as your Savior? It's very simple. It's like receiving a gift. It's very simple. We can do that right here. Would you be willing to do that? All right. Then let's talk to God. Now, I'm going to pray a prayer just to sort of guide you through it. But it, just you repeating a prayer after me doesn't do a thing. It has to be what you really mean from your heart. So listen, Bob, if I say something while we're praying that you don't agree with, you stop me. Because I want you to be sure that every word you're about to say to God is coming from your heart and that you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ. All right, let's talk to God. Talk to God and say, Dear God, I know I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. I know I deserve to be punished, but I don't want to go to hell. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. And right now, I believe you died for me. I believe your death paid for all of my sin. And I'm receiving you as my Savior. Come into my heart. Save my soul. Help me to live for you. And take me to heaven when I die. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Let me show you one more verse before we go. I really appreciate your time, Bob. I do. Over here in John chapter 3, it breaks down the entire world into two groups of people. John chapter 3 and verse number 36. The first group is right here. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. That's group number one. Those that believe on Jesus. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So there's two groups of people in this whole world. Those who believe on Jesus and they have everlasting life right now. Those who refuse to believe on Jesus and the wrath of God is on them forever. Now, Based upon what you just did, the choice you just made for yourself, which of those two groups are you in? Those who believe on Jesus and have everlasting life or those who reject Jesus and have the wrath of God on them? Which of those groups are you in? You're absolutely right. You're in the first group. God bless you.
Bob, I thank you so much for your time. And from there, whatever the circumstances is, if I'm at his door, I'm going to try to get him to come to church. Uh, if I'm uh, somewhere else, I'm going to uh, see if he wouldn't mind if I came by his house and paid him a visit. But that is start to finish, basically, how I would lead a, a soul to Christ. And, of course, there's so many variables along the way. There's the possibility that somebody will stop you and uh, ask a question and so forth. But that was your little, I guess, ideal package of uh, how to lead someone to Christ. And I'll be honest with you, and I'm not kidding you, I've done this tens of thousands of times. It is not an exaggeration. I don't mean tens of thousands of people have gotten saved. All kinds of people have said, no, thank you. But I have, I have presented that message personally tens of thousands of times. That is not, don't forget, I'm 50 years old. I've been doing this since I was a preteen. So that's not an exaggeration at all. And I can tell you that you stick by that and very rarely will you run into any kind of objection or debate or argument. And when you do, the Lord will guide you through it. All righty? So that's it right there. We didn't do the preliminaries. We didn't do the, uh, the post-liminaries, whatever that word is. Um, but just to, tonight, I want to focus on the basic presentation of the gospel. Before we pray... Let me ask if, if anyone has any kind of a question. I can't guarantee that I'm going to answer, can be able to answer it, but I promise you I will try. Any questions on what you just heard?